Chapter 7 of Sam in the Suburbs by P.G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7. Sam at San Rafael. It is not given to every girl who makes prophecies to find those prophecies fulfilled within a few short hours of their utterance, and the emotions of Claire Lippett as she confronted Sam in the hall of San Rafael were akin to those of one who sees the long shot romp in ahead of the field, or who unexpectedly solves the crossword puzzle. Only that evening she had predicted that burglars would invade the house, and here one was, as large as life. Mixed, therefore, with her disapproval of this midnight marauder, was a feeling almost of gratitude to him for being there. Of fear she felt no trace. She presented the pistol with a firm hand. One calls it a pistol for the sake of technical accuracy. To Sam's startled senses it appeared like a young cannon, and so deeply did he feel regarding it that he made it the subject of his opening remark, which, by all the laws of etiquette, should have been a graceful apology for an explanation of his intrusion. "'Steady with the howitzer, he urged. "'What, say?' said Claire coldly. "'The lethal weapon. Be careful with it. It's pointing at me.' "'I know it's pointing at you.' "'Oh, well, so long as it only points,' said Sam." He felt a good deal reassured by the level firmness of her tone. This was plainly not one of those neurotic, fluttering females whose fingers cannot safely be permitted within a foot of a pistol trigger. There was a pause. Claire, still keeping the weapon poised, turned the gas up, upon which Sam, rightly feeling that the ball of conversation should be set rolling by himself, spoke again. "'You are doubtless surprised,' he said, plagiarizing the literary style of Mr. Todhunter, "'to see me here.' "'No, I am not!' You're not? No. You keep those hands of yours up. Sam sighed. You wouldn't speak to me in that harsh tone, he said. If you knew all I had been through, it is not too much to say that I have been persecuted this night. Well, you shouldn't come breaking into people's houses, said Claire primly. You are laboring under a natural error, said Sam. I did not break into this charming little house. My presence, Mrs. Braddock, strange as it may seem, is easily explained. Who are you calling Mrs. Braddock? Aren't you Mrs. Braddock? No. You aren't married to Mr. Braddock? No, I'm not. Sam was a broad-minded young man. Oh, well, he said. In the sight of God, no doubt. I'm the cook. Oh, said Sam, relieved. That explains it. Explains what? Well, you know, it seemed a trifle odd for a moment that you should be popping about here at this time of night with your hair in curlers and your little white ankles peeping out from under a dressing gown. Cool, said Claire in a modest flutter. She performed a swift adjustment of the garment's folds. But if you're Mr. Braddock's cook... Who said I was Mr. Braddock's cook? You did. I didn't say any such thing. I'm Mr. Wren's cook. Mr. who? Mr. Wren. This was a complication which Sam had not anticipated. Let us get this thing straight, he said. Am I to understand that this house does not belong to Mr. Braddock? Yes, you are. It belongs to Mr. Wren. But Mr. Braddock had a latchkey. He's staying here. Ah. What do you mean, ah? I intended to convey that things were not so bad as I had thought they were. I was afraid for a moment that I had got into the wrong house, but it's all right. You see, I met Mr. Braddock a short while ago, and he brought me back here to spend the night. Oh, said Claire. Did he? Oh, oh, indeed. Sam looked at her anxiously. He did not like her manner. You believe me, don't you? No, I don't. But surely... If Mr. Braddock brought you here, where is he? He went away. He was, I regret to say, quite considerably squiffed. Immediately after letting me in, he dashed off, banging the door behind him. Likely. But listen, my dear little girl. Less of it. 
said Claire austerely. It's a bit thick if a girl can't catch a burglar without having him start to flirt with her. You wrong me, said Sam. You wrong me. I was only saying... Well, don't! But this is absurd. Good heavens, use your intelligence. If my story wasn't true, how could I know anything about Mr. Braddock? You could easily have asked around. What I say is, if you were all right, you wouldn't be going about in a suit of clothes like that. You look like a tramp. Well, i just come off a tramp steamer. You mustn't go judging people by appearance. I should have thought they would have taught you that at school. Never mind what they taught me at school. You've got me all wrong. I'm a millionaire, or rather my uncle is. Mine's the Shah of Persia. And a few weeks ago he sent me over to England, the idea being that I was to sail on the Mauritania. But that would have involved sharing a suite with a certain Lord Tilbury, and the scheme didn't appeal to me, so I missed the ship and came over on a cargo boat instead. He paused. He had an uncomfortable feeling that the story sounded thin. He passed it in a swift review before his mind. Yes, thin. And it was quite plain from her expression that the resolute young lady before him shared this opinion. She wrinkled her small nose skeptically, and having finished wrinkling it, sniffed. I don't believe a word of it, she said. I was afraid you wouldn't, said Sam. True though it is, it has a phony ring. Really, to digest that story, you have to know Lord Tilbury. If you had the doubtful pleasure of the acquaintance of that king of boars, you would see that I acted in the only possible way. However, if it's too much for you, let it go, and we will approach the matter from a new angle. The whole trouble seems to be my clothes, so I will make you a sporting offer. Overlook them for the moment, give me your womanly trust, and allow me to sleep on the drawing-room sofa for the rest of the night, and not only will blessings reward you, but I promise you, right here and now, that in a day or two I will call at this house and let you see me in the niftiest rig-out that ever man wore. Imagine it, a brand new suit, custom-made, silk serge linings, hand-sewed, scallops on the pocket flaps, and me inside. Is it a bet? No, it isn't. Think well. When you first see that suit, you will say to yourself that the coat doesn't seem to sit exactly right. You will be correct. The coat will not sit exactly right. And why? Because there will be in the side pocket a large box of the very finest mixed chocolates, a present for a good girl. Come now, the use of the drawing room for the few remaining hours of the night. It is not much to ask. Claire shook her head inflexibly. I am not going to risk it, she said. By rights, I ought to march you out into the street and hand you over to the policeman. And have him see you in curling pins? No, no. What's wrong with my curling pins? demanded Claire fiercely. Nothing, nothing, said Sam hastily. I admire them. It only occurred to me as a passing thought. The reason I don't do it is because I'm tender-hearted and don't want to be too hard on a feller. It is a spirit I appreciate, said Sam, and would that there had been more of it abroad in London this night. So out you go and don't let me hear no more of you. Just buzz off, that's all I ask. And be quick about it, because I need my sleep. I was wrong about those chocolates, said Sam. Silly mistake to make. What will really be in that side pocket will be a lovely diamond brooch. And a motor car and a ruby ring and a new dress and a house in the country, I suppose. Outside! Sam accepted defeat. The manly spirit of the shutters was considerable, but it could be broken. Oh, all right, I'll go. One of these days, when my limousine splashes you with mud, you will be sorry for this. And don't bang the door behind you! Ordered the ruthless girl. End of chapter 7